When Lisa and I were first married, um, we made a run to TJ Maxx one evening, and uh, we were walking up to the store, and, uh, you know, we're young, married, just kind of caught up in each other, and, you know, so just kind of having a little banter back and forth, and I asked her a question, and you know, she was kind of just, just outside my line of sight, and I asked her a question, and I didn't immediately get an answer, and I, I you know, kind of ask it again, I don't hear anything, and I turn around, and she's back, you know, 15 feet or something talking to this gentleman that I didn't see at all, and I see he's got kind of a sign and kind of got something going, and she, you know, she eventually kind of catches up to me, and, you know, it's like, what what was going on? She's like, oh, that, you know, the, he's deaf, and he's selling pencils, and, and I'm like, did you buy a pencil? And she's like, no, I I just... I just wanted to acknowledge him and just, you know, say hi and just kind of look him in the eye and just acknowledge his presence, give him dignity. And I can tell you that I, first of all, didn't even see the guy. If I had seen the guy, I probably, at best, would have, if I had kind of seen the whole pencil situation, I probably would have bought a pencil. And I would have done it because I either felt pity somehow for him or because... Like, I felt bad about me and just, you know, awkwardness or whatever. But I can tell you, in a million years, what I would have never done is seen the guy and thought, I'm just going to acknowledge him as, as a person and give him dignity. Just look him eyeball to eyeball. Uh, I, I was way too caught up in my, in my own, like, self to ever think like that at all. In the last 20 years... Quite a lot has changed for us and for our family. Uh, I think we have a, a photo of our family just so that you can uh, just so that you can see. There we are. Uh, there's uh, that's me in the middle, and then that's um, that, that was a joke. And then um, uh, that's Lisa, of course, on the side. And then our younger son Matthias um, on the uh, left, and in the middle is our older son David. David's 17. Matthias is 15. Um, and um, uh, in the last 20 years, like Ethan said, we just celebrated our 20th anniversary a couple weeks ago. Um, on July 4th, 2002, uh, a big event happened for us. After months of waiting and a few days of a lot of anxiety, wondering what was, uh, what was going to happen, uh, we welcomed our first son, David, into the world. Uh, David was born with a genetic disorder called Cornelia DeLange syndrome, and um, as you can see, I think we got one of, there we go, there's, there's me with the boys in, in all their glory. As you can see, David has uh, seven fingers, five on his right, two on his left. He's the size of about an eight-year-old. Uh, David is diapered. Uh, he can eat a certain amount of food himself. We often spoon feed him uh, blended foods. Um, he doesn't just, you know, we don't just hand him something and he, and he eats it. It's got to be blended up. Very particular diet. He has a lot of GI issues. He had open heart surgery. Um, and uh, just has, you know, pretty, um, uh, he's nonverbal, um, has some pretty profound special needs. Uh, he also um, has this just gleam in his eye. He has an incredible sense of humor. Uh, he has a laugh that just is infectious. He loves music. He loves to, to play keyboard, um, especially. Um, you might not recognize any of the tunes. He kind of writes um, his own stuff. Um, but uh, he, um, and he's just got this like sense for people that just, um, 
I don't know, people who are hurting, people who need a hug, um, he, and he will literally do everything from, uh, from like literally walk up and, and put his arm around your neck, like if you're sitting there and you're within range. And he also has this way that he kind of just walks up and he kind of like sidles up to you kind of backwards and just kind of, you know, we'll just sit on your lap and like, we're going to be friends now. And, and it's funny because, and you will be his friend. I mean, you, you just will. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's like, cool. If I did that to you, it would be really awkward. But when he does it, it's a bridge builder. And so um, anyway, I share that with you because, um, you know, he's, he has taught me a lot about um, engaging with people with special needs. He's taught me a lot about God. He's taught me a lot about just what it means to be human. And um, uh, I, I think the, the reality is a lot of people um, are a lot like me, like naturally just kind of struggle to know exactly um, how to approach people with special needs, how to engage with people um, who have special needs and their families. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's just an issue of like, we just don't want to offend you know, like we're just, we're not kind of sure what the boundaries are and what's okay to talk about and what's not. Um, sometimes we're intimidated by the needs. There, there are people with special needs who have pretty profound needs and, in, and can be intimidating. Uh, sometimes there's equipment involved. Um, sometimes it's just kind of lacking that like firsthand knowledge and experience. I mean, anytime you do anything for the first time, it's, it's a little bit intimidating, right? And so this for some people, it's just that issue of just not really having much exposure, and so um, you're just not kind of sure how to, you know, how to get past that. But for these, in a lot of re reasons, um, I think it can be challenging personally and as a church community to know how to engage with people with special needs, um, people whose needs are are unique and sometimes just different than, um, than your own. And so my task is to talk about the biblical, res the biblical response to, uh, I don't know what I just did. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, uh, to people with special needs. And um, this is one of those topics that it's a little bit tricky because the Bible just doesn't like, it's a question that we ask in a really particular way. And the Bible just never answers that question that way. Like there's no like, you know, um, in 3 Corinthians 4.27, where Paul begins to say, for the people with special needs in your church, like you just, there's no, there's no passage like that. So what we have to do is we've got to look at something else. We've got to kind of look at a, at a bigger framework and then kind of extract what to do. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to, um, I'm going to take a look and just try to create, um, try to, to show a, a biblical case, uh, kind of a framework where we can answer this question. And it's a framework that has been profound for me in, um, in the way I see David, the way I see um, anybody with special needs. It's been profound for the way I see myself, the way I've come to see humanity, the way we relate to God. Um, it's been a, a, become a really huge paradigm for me. Um, and then just to share some, some very practical kind of applications out of that. So um, with that in mind, where can we go, biblically speaking, to frame our heads and our hearts to know how to engage those whose needs are different from our own? Maybe those whose needs give us pause or intimidate us or we don't want to offend. Um, where, where can we go? Um, and where I like to go first is um, right to the beginning of the Bible. The Bible teaches that we are all made in God's image. Every one of us is created in the image of the King. And if you have your Bible, you can just turn open to the first few pages in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 26, says, And God said, 
Let the earth bring, sorry, that's 24, 26. There it is. It's got, a, it's got a six after it, not a four. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. But this can be kind of one of those passages that's like a, almost like a, okay, so what? Like I've read that passage a bunch of times. It's one many of us are very familiar with. I mean, it's, it's a passage that's kind of known whether you regularly attend church or read the Bible or not. Um, and it's a, it's a text I think that we can kind of read over because we're so familiar with and not really catch the significance. So I thought, well, let's just take a step back for a second to really understand what's going on here. And let me just provide a little sort of context. Let me set it in like what's going on. Why of all the things that God could start the Bible with, what's going to make the cut of page one of the Bible? You know, what, why, does this, why does this rate? Well, historically speaking, um, we just need to think about this a little bit and kind of the story that, that the Bible shares. Um, we know that um, Israel was in Egypt for 400 years, almost twice as long as our country has existed, um, and then they're delivered. God delivers the people of Israel um, out of uh, slavery in Egypt through the Exodus, um, displaying, as, as the scripture says, the power of his mighty right hand in, in rescuing them. And he delivers them out of Egypt. They go out into the desert. Some, lots of things happen that we don't have time to talk about. Eventually, they find themselves in this place where they're wandering around for 40 years. And the thing is, you have to think, they just came out of this like Egyptian kind of world, right? And they don't really know who they are. Like, they don't really have, like, the sense of themselves as their own people. They don't have the identity that, that they need. And so in that time, God inspires Roses to write the first five books of the Bible, to explain to Israel who he is, who is this God who delivered them out of Egypt, and where do they live, and how do they fit into the big scheme of things. And God uses this very particular framework to explain it. In the ancient Near Eastern world, when, um, when a people group would uh, worship a god, they would build a temple uh, so that the people could, you know, worship, right? Makes sense. And they, they kind of had this process that they went through. But the very last thing that they would do once the temple was constructed is they would place in the temple the image of the god, right? The little, you know, we've seen little statues, you know, got a guy with a bird head or he got a little bull statue or whatever. I mean, we've seen, you know, in books or museums or whatever, we've seen these things. And so that was the very last thing that they would do. And it was a very serious thing. There was a, a ritual that they would go through to, to put them in place. They would even do things like they would breathe the life of the God into it. Um, it's kind of interesting, um, the language that, that's used in some of these ceremonies. Um, and they would do things where, like, they would, um, they would, like, wake the God up in the morning. Like, the priest would come in. They'd wake him up. They would dress the God. They would bring food to the God. They would entertain the God. Sometimes they would even take the God and, and, uh, and take him out of the temple and into the streets so that the image of the God could, uh, could you know, go and, and be among the people. The average person wouldn't be able to go into the temple and see the God. So this is a way for the people to... To, to interact with um, this representation of God, this, um, you know, this, this image of the God, so that they could have a, a connection with their God. And in that framework, 
comes Genesis, where we see nobody making a temple for God, but actually God creating a cosmic temple for himself. And as we go through the creation narrative, the very last thing that God does is really interesting. There's no other ancient Near Eastern God that does this. There's no other God in the world that does this. The very last thing that God does in his cosmic temple is places the image of the God, us. Because we represent God to one another. We are the image of God in his cosmic temple to represent him to ourselves and to one another. And it's crazy when you think about it. There's nowhere else where this is done. Everywhere else, somebody builds a God, a temple, and they build and they, and they put in an image of the God. And it's interesting because like, there's lots of places in Scripture where it talks about like, there's prohibitions, like not to make graven, ima graven images of God, craven images, they're hungry images, I don't know, graven images of God. Um, uh, and it, you know, it's like, why, why can't we do that? And there's a really particular reason. It's because we're never prohibited from making images of God. Like you have to like kind of watch the language. We're just not that kind of image. In fact, Genesis 1 actually tells us we're supposed to make lots of images of God. Like be fruitful and multiply. Go make images. It's just there's a very particular thing that's an image of God. It's us. So he doesn't want us making these dead, and you can see in all this language in the Old Testament, he doesn't want us making images of wood and stone and these like dead things because the image of God is alive. It's us. Okay, so there's the background for it all. So, but the thing is, is I, I think we can say as we look around the world, you know, we don't really necessarily see like that image necessarily being resented, uh, res that image being represented very well. Um, you know, you just think about this week's news cycle and you kind of go, I don't know, how, how's humanity doing on that, on that job? How well, are we, how well are we tracking with, you know, representing God's image? Well, the, the issue is we see just, you know, a couple chapters later in Genesis 3 that, um, that humanity, man humanity manages to rupture the image of God. So if you go to Genesis, just flip over a page over to Genesis uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I, I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And it goes on from there. 
What we see here is humanity now beginning to enter into this like rebellion against our creator, to enter into rebellion against uh, our king. We doubt God's character. And from here, you see humanity begin to advance its own kingdom, where we're now dissociated from what God's program is and we're doing now our own thing. And the important thing for, for what we're talking about this morning is that we rupture this relationship um, with God and thus our association with, uh, with the image of God in ourselves and others. And so we begin to experience shame and fear and alienation, and we see these things, uh, we see these things going on in this passage. And so because of that, what happens is we don't really see God's image in other people anymore. We see others at times as, as competition or distractions, as inconveniences or as needy. And in many cases, um, unless, someone, uh, unless someone helps us to advance our own kingdom, our, maybe our family reputation, maybe our business, uh, maybe our church, our political party, we tend to overlook their value. Because really, uh, we, we, we tend to, to, to miss that they're made in the image of God. And because, uh, because of this rupture, we also don't really reflect God's image very well to others. So we don't see it in people, but we don't really reflect it ourselves very well. Um, we doubt our own worth. Um, we doubt our own inherent dignity. We think God has given us only scarce resources, money, influence, time, connections. And so we doubt ca- God's character. We get self-focused. And when this happens, we tend to respond one of two ways. We either um, we either kind of tend to shrink back and, and, and hold back and, you know, kind of live in that, like, doubt and don't put ourselves out there in various ways. Or uh, the other thing we do is we kind of, like, puff up and kind of assert, like, what? I, I'm going to make it happen. If God's not, I'm going to just, I'm going to take over and I'm going to run my life so that I can, you know, so that I can make things happen. And you probably can see this in yourself and in, in those you know. Like, we, we, we all kind of tend, lots of variations, lots of ways this can show up, but we all tend to go down when it those two paths. From this perspective, where we're missing God's image in others and where we're missing God's image in ourselves, when we meet someone who's different than us, different beliefs, different race, different sexual orientation, different political party, different socioeconomic position, they are usually to us kind of either objects of scorn or pity. That is to say, they either are in our way or we feel sorry for them. And this carries over into those who have special needs. Like, you know, and again, this is out of my experience. Before I say what I'm going to say, just to, to, to be clear, people with special needs, like, there's a huge spectrum of what it means to have special needs. Like, there's people sitting here that, like, nobody knows that you have needs, you know, that, that are maybe atypical, all the way to, like, people who have very severe, very obvious wear-on-their-sleeve needs, like, like our son, and even more severe where, you know, there's mucus and, and uh, drool and equipment and diapers and, you know, lots of things like that. Like, there's this whole spectrum. But we, you know, we, we see people who are different, and, um, and then it gets, it's hard. You know, we're focused on ourselves. We're creating our own kingdom. We're creating our own, our own way in the world. And people with special needs just often just don't fit in the equation. And it's not always necessarily that we mean it to be that way. It's not like we're all walking around like, I'm going to ignore special needs people to dig it. They're a distraction. It's just, it's more like me and the story I told at the beginning that like we just tend not to even see or think about it. Fortunately, the story doesn't end there. 
God is making his cosmic temple on earth where he will dwell with his people. And so he sends his son, Jesus, to restore the image. So Jesus, we're told in the New Testament, is a perfect image of God in Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So where we failed to really image forth God, where we failed to, to really be that image of God in the world, Jesus comes in and he does it perfectly. Jesus died for us so that he can, he can recreate the renewed image of God in us. In Romans 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So as we reflect him, as he is the perfect image, we are now having our image restored. And other passages we could look at that are, that are up there, Colossians 3, 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians 3. But So while we have a ruptured image, Jesus is renewing it for those who know him. He's restoring our identity as image bearers. So he's the perfect image. He's restoring our image. And he also empowers our image so that we can carry out our college, our calling as those who represent, uh, represent God and show his life to the world around us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies." For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So we're not perfect images. We're, we're, we're cracked images. We're images that have been ruptured and restored to represent the life available to those who are broken. So... The Bible teaches we're all made in God's image, and every one of us is created in the image of the, of the king. And we've been kind of heavy on the like, theology principle side of things, but you know, what are we going to do with all this? Like great theology, but okay, we're, I'm supposed to you know, talk about uh, engaging people with special needs. So um, there's a couple things that, that I just want to share. One is, so if this is true, in light of being made in the image of God, if I'm made in the image of God and you're made in the image of God and, and you know, humanity is, then it means that we, we have to see God's image in people. Like, first of all, we have to see it um, in, in us. We have to see that inherent dignity in ourselves. And I can tell you, um, just from a personal experience, a personal example, I've uh, battled depression uh, for quite a number of years, and I've spent time in therapy circles and recovery circles, and I've been around folks who have kind of, you know, been on the, on the spectrum of different addictions and recovery and different things, and um, it's pretty fascinating because, um, you know, in, in, like, addiction circles, in, like, recovery, like, one of the very first things, like, in the first few principles of, like, recovery things, um, like, with AA and things, you've got to start with like acknowledging your like powerlessness. You've got to start with like acknowledging your rupture, <laughs> your brokenness, and then turn to God to, um, you know, to, to restore something in you and give you a power 
that you don't have, right? And it's crazy because as I've been just around people, it's so fat, fascinating because people from, you know, everywhere from like kind of down and out like drug addicts um, who, you know, were kind of like living on the edges of society all the way to, you know, high power, seven figure uh, business people in Manhattan, uh, power, you know, not just A types, but like double A plus types, right? Like at the root of all of it is a failure to see the image of God in ourselves, in themselves. It's all like this lack of understanding our own self-worth and our own like, you know, our own worthiness and value. And it, it's crazy. It's like a, a universal thing um, that, that this like shows up. And so we have to see that, that, um, that you and I bear the image of the king, and that is our identity. Just as, as God was telling the people of Israel, this is your identity, you're made in my image, we have to hear God say, this is your identity, you're made in my image. And we need to see it not just in us, but we need to see it um, in, in others. Like, it's, it's kind of interesting, like, this is the foundation of our, of our founding fathers with, like, all these, like, cool words in our, in our documents about, like, you know, created, um, all men are created equal and, and this type of thing. Paul, the apostle, talks about, in Galatians, he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor free, female. So there's no race, there's no social status, there's no gender identity in the church. We are all equal because we're made in God's image. Like, this is the, the bedrock of this notion in the world. Like, where do we get, where, why do people in the world today talk about equality? I mean, just, this is like extra. I didn't tell the other church this, so you can like, this is like free for you. But in the ancient world, nobody ever talked about people being equal. There is not a single shred of writing in the ancient world about this topic until those words in Galatians. Like, that was, like, horrible. That was not, like, a good thing in the ancient world. They hated that. Like, status, that was the deal. Like, they exalted it. So, like, that anybody talks about equality at all, it, it totally comes out of Scripture. It's, it's, it's very cool. Okay, because we're made in God's image. So we need to see a God's image, but we also need to reflect God's image uh, in, in the world. We need to represent our king. Um, and I'll just, I'll share, um, you know, we need to do it... Um, in the church, in the public sphere, in everyday life. But um, just, you know, to talk about this uh, one specific example, one way that we can embody this kind of in the world of, of special needs. Um, I, I remember as a pastor, um, I served a, a few years back as the, um, I was like the pastoral liaison to, on a building committee that we had at our church at the time. And, you know, you know how that goes. Like, you got the pastor and an elder, and you got, like, the contractors and the architects and the children's ministry person and the, you know, whatever. I mean, you got, you know, everybody's on there so that everybody gets what they need. The drinking fountain's in the right place and all those types of things. And um, that was also a little bit of a joke. But um, I know you guys don't, you, it, the city has taken care of the drinking fountains here, so you don't, you don't need to worry about it. But <clears throat> um, anyway, uh, the... Um, you know, as we're talking, like, you know, you got budgets, you got realities to deal with, and you're trying to figure out where to put things and how to, how to make the dollars work. And, you know, there's all these ADA compliance things, all these Americans with Disabilities Act, like, things that you need to do in buildings in order to give people access. And we got into these discussions about the ramps and the, you know, and the, the you know, Braille, um, you know, signs on the walls and, 
you know, the, the bathrooms with stalls that are larger than we planned, with the rails that take up extra space, and the shower that we didn't intend to be able to roll a wheelchair into, and all these different things. And, um, and good guys, good, good people on the committee, nobody, nobody meaning anything, you know, bad. But at one point, like, there's this kind of grousing about, oh, you know, we got to waste this money on, on all this compliance stuff, you know. And I, I just immediately thought about Mike in our church, who's a paraplegic. And um, the only reason he can attend our, our church there that was built in 1937 with steps, because everybody could walk in 1937, is that you know, somebody had made like an access point for a wheelchair. And like we were kind of like the next generation kind of doing that anew, right? And I'm like... Everybody loves Mike. People want Mike here. Like, nobody's trying to exclude Mike, but like, hey, you guys, what about Mike? You know, what about, what about Alan, who is blind, sings in the choir, and like, shouldn't Alan be able to like walk up to the signage in the hallway and be able to find the, the bathroom just like I can? Like, you know, like, that's just like, somebody has put that into the, into the code so that that can happen, but as people who, as a people who recognize that people are made in God's image. Like, shouldn't we be the first ones on that, on that bandwagon? I think about our own David. You know, like, he's fortunately, and at that time, he was, he was really little. He was, you know, really young. It was a few years ago. But so he's got us to kind of get him around. But, you know, over time, like, his care and his, his care becomes more challenging. His access becomes more limited without greater, you know, intervention. And you know, and nobody is thinking, oh, we're going to keep, you know, Mike and Alan and David out, <laughs> you know, that's, but, but without thinking about it, we get thinking about budgets and we get thinking about, you know, that it's extra time and energy and whatever to make these things happen. And I just think, man, in the church, shouldn't the church be where, like, access is at the highest point? Like, in our society, this is a place where I really believe the church can lead and embody our, like, our understanding of, what, like, of, of the way God works in the world, that he has created us in his image, and that his image bearers you know, are, like, ought to have access, and we ought to reflect that. Like, we ought to, in our behavior, in our attitudes, in our approach to things, we ought to think about that. Like, you know, churches should be like the place of the greatest access, right? Like the, the so, um, and it's, it, it's a huge ministry to be able to do that. So I think we should be leaders in, in ADA issues. We've traveled a lot. We've been in Europe and um, there's a lot of stairs in Europe, a lot of stairs. Also, again, people in the 16th century apparently all could walk. Um, you know, and it, it's crazy how, like, you know, they put in the Louvre. I was telling Ethan on the way over, they, in the Louvre, they've got the Louvre. Like, you know how big that building is? <laughs> they've got one special needs elevator that's, like, this big. And lots of able-bodied people use it. And it actually says, disabilities elevator, in French. Um, so, anyway. Okay. I also promised Ethan some practical tips um, about engaging with people with special needs in the church. Um, so... Again, in light of everything that we're saying, like, as a church, what are some things? Like, just thoughts. These are, this is, like, based on real experiences that we've had as a family and, um, and kind of drawing on, the, on these principles about being made in God's image. What's some, like, super practical stuff? First, when you meet somebody with special needs, um, talk to them. Talk to those with them. Like, just engage. 
Um, it, not with funny voices, not with like looks of pity, but just like, you know, if you, if you like don't know what to do, you're, you're just like, this is new for you, you're, you're just uncomfortable or whatever, just think like, okay, if I was going to talk to that person over there, what would my voice sound like? What would I say? What would I do? Okay, that's how I'm going to go talk to this person. You know, just like apply the same, that same thing. Um, and listen, you know. Um, and by the way, like for David, I think, you know, somebody like David, he's nonverbal. He's not going to say anything back to you. Um, he, does, he hears you, though. And I have no, I, I honestly, I don't know his level of understanding. People ask me that. I, I don't know. But um, I just always assume it's more than I think. Because I just kind of feel like that's a good default, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just assume he can, he can understand, you know. Um, and, um, and just let the image of God in you reach out to the image of God in that person. Um, ask questions, you know, honestly. Like, that's part of the thing is, like, we just don't know a lot of times, right? So, like, we don't know, like, what's in bounds and what's out of bounds and, you know, but ask questions. And, okay, we have to respect that people, again, they're on a spectrum of, like, how much they want to share, you know, like some people, we're a very open family. You could ask us any question you want and, and we'll, just, we'll just engage with you. Like, you know, we're happy to do that. Not, not everybody is, you know, comes from that place and that's okay. If you don't know, like, you know, you might sense like, oh, these people seem pretty open. But if you don't know, you can ask them, hey, I don't know, you know, I don't know about, you know, your situation and I don't even know the right way to ask this question, but can I ask you questions about, you know, about about your condition or the situation or your son or your daughter or whatever. Like, you, you might be surprised. Like, when you go and you're genuinely, like, just taking a posture of learning, it's pretty surprising how open people tend to be because um, they want to we all want to be understood, right? Um, understand getting to church is harder for people and families with special needs, like, often for lots of different reasons. You know, sometimes it's finding transportation, Sometimes it's, it's just the, the course of the week is a challenge. Like um, this week for us and our family, um, David had, right, we're in San Luis Obispo. David had an appointment uh, for cardiology in Torrance and he had a procedure done at UCLA. Notice that's totally two different cities that depending on what time of day you're driving is anywhere from 30 minutes to like four hours apart. Um, and, uh, and on Monday, that wasn't planned. We've been trying to get this thing done and all of a sudden like, the doctors came through. Yay! And so all of a sudden our whole week just shifts and we've got this whole big, you know, thing going on. Well, then you get to Sunday and like it's just, you know, you're kind of wiped out from a, a big week. Not to mention just, you know, um, just kind of some of the realities and here's some of the realities. Offer programs that enable people with special needs and their families to attend church. Um, you know, make sure that there's space and there's room and that, and that that's a, a consideration. For families, a lot of times, if, if somebody has, has a child with special needs, if there's like a way to care for the child and the family can go attend church, it's a respite. I mean, I've thought about this for a long time. Seriously, like if we want to reach out to the community and somebody with, who doesn't care all about church knows that they can come hang out for two hours on a Sunday morning and somebody's going to watch their kid and they get to like sit and breathe, <laughs> like they will come. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's crazy. Like, we, we have a lot of assistance, but a lot of people don't. And even for us with a lot of assistance, it's still challenging at times. The break is still very helpful. So just, you know, um, and if you do it, I would say be careful not to turn it into, like, attendance tracking. It's hard when, like, you have somebody who's, like, going to watch your kid, and then it's like, noticed you weren't at church the last couple of weeks. You know, it's like, 
yep, that's right. <laughs> we, we weren't, you know, because um, here's how our week looks. Just, you know, again, back to, you know, just know it's harder to get to church sometimes. Um, create space in your gatherings for disruptions. Um, you know, some people with special needs, they, they just, they make sounds. Either they don't, they can't help it. That's a thing. Sometimes they're just totally unaware. David will make sounds and like he, he has no concept that it's making an impact on anybody. And, um, and sometimes, you know, people respond or like, David, you know, and then he starts thinking it's funny and then it becomes like a game and then it just escalates, you know. Um, but anyway, just, you know, but uh, we, we attended a church, we visited a church one time and they had a, a thing in the bulletin that like, you know, we've got a couple of people in our service who, you know, a couple of our members of our church family that have special needs and will from time to time, you know, they have um, vocal outbursts and we're so happy that they're here and welcome them and welcome you in the same condition or whatever. And so I think just like thinking through like how can we just kind of create that like space um, you know, for, the, for things like that and to not, um, you know, to not make that be like jarring and like looking and, you know, like, and I know like, you're, you know, we're all, we're trying to hear and like everything that I'm saying is very important. You should hear every word, but um, still, you know, I think we can have a little, a little space there. Um, if you have gifts of mercy and compassion or you're just wired in this way, like just offer to, offer to either jump in the official ministries of the church or or even just reach out to the families and offer to spend time with, with people because um, it, it's crazy. Once again, we have quite a lot of help and we, we've kind of created a system of help for our family, but um, we still welcome help. Like we still at times find ourselves looking for somebody to help watch David and, and to help with the care. And, and a lot of people just don't even have as much assistance as we do. And so if that's like a gifting you have and a, and a, a wiring you have, like, like the people who help with David, I mean, they really truly become like family members for us. Like they are some of the nearest, dearest people to our hearts because they, you know, they step in and, and help with our son. And um, it, it's such an amazing way to, again, reflect that, that image of God, um, to see it, to reflect it um, in others. So um, there's some practical ways, and that's not the end of the list. That's just some things out of, again, out of our experience. So, um, you know, as we think about this, again, I, I, a, for a lot of reasons, I think sometimes we just we find it difficult. Like, it can be a challenge. Um, it, it can be just that we're trying not to offend. It can be that we're trying to, um, you know, we're just a little intimidated or, we, you know, we don't know where to start. But um, I think if we can really get our, our heads and our hearts around this concept of being made in God's image and the work that he's doing to redeem us and to, and, and to restore that image, and we can, we can see it in ourselves and see it in others and reflect that, I think that that can go a long way to opening up not only how we engage with people with special needs, but how we engage with anybody who's different, anybody that we're not sure what to do with. And, you know, I think in our world today, I think that that is a message that the church, again, can bring into the world uh, and embody. So um, let's pray.